Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we need Your Word. I pray that You will aid us to understand it, to live it out, to grow in our knowledge of what Your Word teaches. But I pray, Father, that we would also be moved by Your Spirit to consider where it is that we fall short of Your calling, how it is that we can find grace in Christ, and how it is that we can better serve and love one another. May we be faithful to our calling. We thank You for who You are and for all that You have done for us in Christ. And we now desire, Father, to labor as a church, to be faithful to this call, and I pray that we would walk worthy of Your name. Please guide us as we continue to consider the purpose of the church, and I pray that we would take to heart what Your Word teaches. There may be some among us here today who do not know Christ as Savior. We uh, anticipate that this is clearly the case. And we pray then, Father, that You would work in the hearts of Your people, that You would work in the hearts of those who are not Your people as well, and that You might draw to saving faith anyone who knows not Christ as Savior today. I pray that as we talk about the life of the church, that though they are not yet in that church, I pray that they would respond uh, to Your forgiveness in Christ. Please aid us as we labor then together today in Your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. There's a spokesperson for the Twin Cities Parade of Homes that said here this spring that it takes on average 37 workers to build a single-family home. On average, 37 different workers need to collaborate to pool their resources together, to use their individual skills to construct a single house. And as we well know, it takes an even greater number to construct a church building, doesn't it? Constructing a new building is a collaborative effort, always. It requires coordination of effort, pooling of resources, application of distinct skills, and the energetic efforts of many willing workers. And what a joy it's been to watch uh, these efforts unfold as we continue to build up uh, this building that the Lord has provided for us, this new house of worship. As we think of construction and how it involves a united work, with good reason then, we consider that the New Testament pictures the church of Jesus Christ as a building under construction. A living breathing temple in the Lord, God dwelling in this church by His Spirit. It is a building project. It is a construction project. The individual members of the local church are added to this building. Then they are called to participate in building it up. So last week we started this brief series of sermons asking, I think at this fitting point in our church's life, what is the purpose of the church? Why do we exist as a local church? What is the fundamental purpose for which Jesus saved us and the purpose He created us to fill as His people? Last week we looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians. Our purpose we found there is very clearly to display the glory of God. As those who have trusted Jesus for our salvation... We form a community of living, breathing trophies of God's grace. 
And we then, in our life together, in the transformation of our lives individually, are to display to this watching world, in fact, to the angelic realm, the wonder of Christ's saving grace. This is our purpose. This is why we live, why He saved us. To exalt His name. This purpose, as we noted last week, is one of three relational orientations. This is the upward orientation. As we look to God, we are to display His glory, to rejoice in His name, to show the glories of who He is. Today I'd like us to consider the purpose of the local church from the inward orientation. Our purpose in relation to one another as members of Christ's body. This also is one of the purposes, the significant purposes of a local church. In the second half of the book of Ephesians, we learn that our purpose is to build up the body of Christ, to build up one another in the faith. I think of all of the themes that continue to be sounded in the life of Eden Baptist Church. This is not a new one, is it? In fact, it wasn't very long ago that Pastor Perdue led us in this very passage. I've thought about it, and I've preached on this passage at least two times. In fact, fairly recently on the Um, series through church membership we come back to this text over and again in fact we had it read this morning because i think if there's any passage that a church needs to know very well it's this passage and so because of the emphasis of these last two sermons that i've referenced we, we i thought well where else can we go and as i thought about that dealing with the purpose of our church i thought there's no reason to go elsewhere this is really the classic text on building one another up in the faith. We need to know this well. So this is a, not a sermon that is novel in any sense to us, but one that we need to continue to consider carefully. And so I think as God has led us to this place by His providence, our task here probably for many of us is not to learn something new, but to realize that again He's sounding this truth. And it is His message, the message of His Spirit <clears throat> to His church. So we need to heed it, returning to this theme. And it follows, of course, from what we found in the first three chapters. We find in the first six verses here that living as one united body in Christ is our calling and our purpose as a church. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, Ephesians 4 and verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The worthy walk to which Paul refers is the only honorable response to the saving grace of Christ in our lives. If we understand the message of these first three chapters as we poured over it last week, the only thing we can really do then is seek to walk in a manner that is worthy of this salvation. We are saved to display God's glory as a united people and as individual believers. We should then live in active response to this glorious salvation, to walk worthy of this calling that is upon our lives. In verses 2 and 3, we have a list of specific examples of that response. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. William Barclay wisely observed that the qualities of verses 2 and 3, I quote, depend on the obliteration of self. 
so long as self is at the center of things, this oneness can never fully exist. In a society where self predominates, men cannot be other than a disintegrated collection of individualistic warring units. But when self dies and Christ springs to life within our hearts, then comes the peace, the oneness, which is the great hallmark of the true church. Our inner navigation system is reset from self to Christ. And when it is set to Christ, then our orientation to one another is radically transformed and changed. So we live now as one united body in Christ, relating to one another as that body with respect for one another as our own physical body parts have respect for each other. There is indeed, verse 4, one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here we have the theological foundations of this response, this worthy walk response, described verses 2 and 3. Here's the theological foundations. We are one body in the Spirit. There's one uniting Lord. One uniting faith. One uniting baptism. One God and Father over all. This unites us in one. So following this call to walk in a worthy manner, Paul explains that we are by no means left to ourselves in all of this. Here's our worthy call. United now in Christ, responding uniquely to this salvation. We're not left to this on our own. Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the church, gives gifts to His church church gifts of grace to the church these gifts are church offices which are set in place to communicate god's word to his people let's notice these gifts jesus first of all in statement gives gifts to his church verse 7 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift that is he sovereignly bestows gifts upon his church a declaration that paul now supports with psalm 68 Quoting Psalm 68, therefore it says, Psalm 68 says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Psalm 68 is a hymn of triumph in response to a military victory by Israel's army. And the picture there is God going up to Mount Zion, and people exulting in God because of this great victory and God receiving gifts of sacrifice from His people on Mount Zion. Now it seems then as Paul is meditating on the work of Christ, he's saying, really, ultimately, this is fulfilled in Jesus. He realizes as he thinks on Psalm 68 that the ultimate triumph is Christ's victorious ascension, not to Mount Zion, but ultimately to heaven conquering death and hell the victorious christ ascends to heaven's throne and from his triumphant position he does not receive gifts which of course he does in worship but here the emphasis falls on his giving gifts 
So verse 9, parenthetically, in saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Simply said, if Jesus ascended to heaven, then it means that as God, he originally had to descend to the earth. To fill all things takes us back to 1.23. Remember that passage last week, chapter 1, verse 23. The church is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. God fills all in all. And so we have here the fullness of Him who fills all in all. God is all. And so as He continues to think on the work of Christ, precisely then He asks, what gifts does Jesus give to His church from His wealth, and for her health. So Christ is the victor. He's defeated death. He's ascended to heaven. And now He gives to His people gifts in triumph over death and hell, in triumph over our sin. What gifts does He give? How does He equip His church to function? Verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers or the shepherd teachers, probably one office there, shepherds teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and it goes on. But looking at verse 11, at these offices, we have apostles. I'd like you to think about this. What connects these offices together? The, apostle, uh, the apostles, the chosen disciples of Jesus who were trained by Him, commissioned to speak for Him, and whose authoritative message is now recorded in the New Testament. Secondly, prophets, believers who spoke the word of God to his people, calling them to obedience, receiving revelation from the Lord. This is what the word of the Lord says. Evangelists, nothing to do with the way the word is typically used in our culture, but evangelists were those who went into places where Christ had never been named where there was no church, where people had not heard the gospel message. These evangelists took the gospel to the lost, baptizing new believers, forming them into local churches. And then the mop-up crew is the pastors and teachers. They come in and stay. They come in and shepherd these people who have trusted Christ as Savior. They deliver to them the Word of God, leading, feeding, defending, and tending the flock of God. So if we follow this progression, walk worthy, He's made you one in Christ, Christ in His triumph now gives to the church these offices to help her, and for what purpose then, we ask, did Jesus give these gifts to the church? Why? What's the purpose? Verse 12 gives the reason. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Christ gives these ministers of the Word to His church not so that they will do all of the work of ministry for the church, but rather Jesus gives ministers of the Word to the church so that by this teaching, the church is equipped to do the work of ministry. Equipped to build up the body of Christ. I missed a point, and that was, if you you followed this, going back... What was it that connects all these offices? It's the teaching and the proclamation of the Word of God. The feeding of Christ's flock with the Word. 
God gives these who teach the Word to the church to deliver the message of His truth. He does this, this teaching ministry of the Word, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Secondly, to equip them to build up the body of Christ. And we, we might see these, these as two ideas that are complementary but distinct. It is certainly possible, perhaps best, to see the work of ministry as the building up of the body of Christ. So the work of service, the works that we do to serve one another, is to build each other up in the faith. Notice this. This is Christ's triumphant, gracious gift to the church, people who declare the Word of God so that the body itself ministers to itself, building itself up in love. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean? What's in your mind as you hear that call to build up the body of Christ? What does it mean? The body of Christ, we realize, is the church for which Christ died. The believers united to Christ, thus joined together as members of one body over which Christ rules His head. The one body. What does it mean then to build it up? To build up the church. The preceding context would connect us directly to the teaching ministry of the Word in the church. He gave these offices to deliver the Word of God so the building up of this church must have something to do with the dissemination of the Word of God. This means that the building up of the church is directly related to the ministry of the Word to the assembly. Secondly, we notice that the context that follows connects building up the body with our knowledge of and our love for God's truth. Verse 13, until, here's the end of why He's given us His Word, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, here's a result, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, in contrast, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice in verse 13, this phrase, mature manhood. What's the point of mature manhood? That's a reference to the church, pictured here as the new humanity in Christ. Coming to fullness, coming to maturity as the body of Christ. Our purpose then is to grow in our relationship with Jesus. It is to grow in our knowledge of God's Word such that we are united in spiritual maturity as the followers of Jesus Christ. Our relationship together is to build us up equip us and strengthen us in the faith now, paul describes this maturity in verse 16 with the analogy of a healthy body every joint with which it's equipped each part is working properly 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A healthy body, the healthy church, is one that builds itself up in love. Now obviously love is a relational concept, and I think it's an important insertion here at this point in the text because everything has been about delivering the Word of God. The truth of God is what builds up His church. The truth of God is what Christ gives to His church for its health and its edification. But it's a building up in love. Why that word? Love, obviously, is a relational concept. Our purpose is not merely to study the Bible together. Although that's an important aspect of our operation as a church. That's a purpose of the church. But it's not merely to study the Bible together. Rather, it is to love God, to love one another, and to love this lost world. If the Bible is truly being disseminated, the Scriptures are truly being inculcated by the church, it translates into love for people. It changes the relationships that we have in this world. Our relationship to God is radically transformed. Our relationship to the lost world is transformed, as is our relationship to one another. We build each other up in this faith to be people who love, who live a life of love in emulation of Christ. This is progress in Christ-likeness. So if we could conceive in our minds a church that came into the assembly and there were desks provided for each individual and notes were carefully taken on every sermon and doctrine was being built and truth was being taught week in and week out and as soon as the church service ended everybody scattered like they do at a, at a large classroom at a university. They take their notes, they listen and take it in and they go home and that was, that's what the church is. If you saw a church like this, if we could conceive of one, we would have to say there's something desperately wrong with that church. As important as the dissemination of God's truth is, there's something really wrong. We are not called together to simply study the Bible, but by hearing the Word of God for that truth to transform our relationships with everything in this world. God, one another, and the lost. So then, what does that look like practically? Practically, how do we build one another up in the faith? We have to hear the Word of God. But what does it mean and how does that look within our life together as believers? Number one, let me start with the obvious. And I'd, I'd like to have this for you in outline form written, but I don't know where we'd put it. <laughs> we don't have that uh, privilege right now. But try to think carefully through. This is a little bit of uh, a full list. But think through each point. And I, and I say this in part, I don't mind that it's not up on a screen, because I hope that it just kind of filters into our thoughts. Don't worry about keeping all six points in order, but just listen to each one in turn. First of all, it means that we will learn God's Word together. If we consider our purpose as a church, clearly the Scriptures are teaching here the Word of God is fed to His people all the time. We will be a body that's always learning what God's Word teaches because it is this Word that strengthens us spiritually and unifies us in the truth. We will be a body that is always learning what God's Word does not teach. 
where it exposes the false doctrines and values of our day, constantly hearing the Word of God. That should be crystal clear from this text. Secondly, practically speaking, how do, what does it mean to build up the church? It means, I think, that we speak God's truth to one another in edifying ways. It is not simply that the only person that teaches the Word is a pastor-teacher, but that all of us together are teachers and communicators of the Word of God. It means that we will speak God's truth to one another in edifying ways. That is, we will encourage one another with God's truth in times of trial and heartache and need. As we face the difficulties of life, we will learn as a church to apply the truth of God to those difficulties and we will speak that truth to one another. And we may not speak it to one another in a quotation of a verse. Probably very seldom would we actually give chapter and verse reference as we're talking to someone who's facing a great trial. But we take the Word of God and we apply it to one another in the midst of trials and heartaches. How do you think when someone enters into difficulty or into need? We should be thinking biblically and applying God's Word. It means we will speak and apply God's truth in opposition to the cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes of the world's philosophies. So we will minister grace through God's Word to one another in trial and heartache. But it means also that we will, we will be talking to one another about how to think in this world that is bent against the truth of God, encouraging each other to think a certain way. Not on some hobby horse, some esoteric idea that we have about theology, but how does God see this world? How does He see us in it? Helping each other to discern the application of that truth to a world that is very bent against God's purposes. Number three. It means that we will talk honestly about our struggles with sin, praying for one another, encouraging one another to walk in faithfulness to Christ. You would say, that's not directly stated in this passage, but it is an absolute necessity of being built up in the faith. As we're being built up in the faith, we must come to terms with our sin. We struggle to be the people that God wants us to be, and so the Word of God is that which purifies us. We've got to be talking about not only what that Word says, but about our sin. Because our sin is, the, is part of the real project of being built up in the faith. Every one of us, as we sit here today, as I stand here today, myself very much included, we have our sin struggles we have those weaknesses of attitude and word and thought and action. And as we deal with these things, it is good for us to put that out into the open in an appropriate way so that God's Word can continue to be ministered to us and build us up in the faith. I think this is a clear implication of this passage. Number four, Building up in the faith means we will understand that by our very design, we are an edification society. We're going to conceive of ourselves that way. An interrelational sanctification collective. That's how we're going to see ourselves as a church. We will see ourselves as a relational community, not merely of friends who get together and help one another. 
There will be friends, certainly. There will be friendships developed. But we're about something much more than that, more than simply helping each other out. Did you notice that Paul said that this morning as he was giving us direction in our uh, time uh, of singing together? That very theme came out in, in, in one uh, comment that he made. We're not a social club. We're not an entertainment center. We are a body that has been given the purpose by Christ to build one another up in the faith. Do we conceive of ourselves that way? When we conceive of ourselves as a social club, we'll be constantly working around the edges to find out who's like me and who likes me. If we conceive of ourselves as an entertainment center, well... Nobody possibly could, I don't think, on this church. But uh, if, if you thought of it that way, uh, we're completely off track. We need to think of ourselves and conceive all of us working together to conceive my work within this body is to build up others in the faith, to be built up in the faith. So we need to ever be thinking of discipleship. And I think that's an orientation that we need to have from the very start of our conceptions of what a church is. And so I talk to you young people who are here. There's younger people than you. What example are you setting for them? Are you encouraging them in the faith? Are you sending the message simply that they don't matter? That you couldn't possibly conceive why they are even on the earth? Or do you look at them and say that there's younger kids behind me? I don't care if you're six or seven years old here. There's younger kids behind you that can be encouraged to live for God or discouraged by the way that you relate to them. All of us should recognize as believers in Christ, if you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, there are people somewhere around you. Young people, maybe it's just younger kids. But really all of us, there are those around us we need to consider how do I put, build them up and lead them closer to Christ. That's a concept we all should have. Fathers, certainly, this is a significant calling upon our lives to lead our families, to build up our families in the faith. And again, church-wide, for all of us to be conceiving of ourselves this way. This is one reason Christ saved us. To build up His body. How do I do that? Am I doing that? Do I even think in those terms? Do I think about building up this body of believers in their faith? Number five. It means we will actively work to overcome natural barriers and differing opinions by pursuing unity with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That does not mean that we will walk in perfect agreement. But we will be gracious as we express and defend our strong-held opinions because we know that the unity of the body is precious in the sight of Christ. My opinions never are more important than what Christ has done to unify us. And I need to always remember that in the mix of ministry and life together as a church. We will be peacemakers, not argumentative or divisive. We will avoid gossip, give one another the benefit of the doubt. 
work to bring people together in love rather than to fuel rivalries. Why? Because of what Christ has done to win and unify His church. We will be eager to fulfill our personal mission to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will actively go about ways of unifying, uniting, drawing together individual members in the body of Christ, bringing others into that body as God gives us opportunity. I think Paul himself ably illustrated the spirit of this orientation toward edification. In his own ministry, it's not just in his writings, but in his own heart attitude, he evidenced this very orientation. And I'd like, us just to, I'd like to just illustrate that from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, as he writes to the church at Colossae, Paul's ministry we find here described as a spirit of edification. There's a, there's a sense in which, as I've described it before, it was in his blood to edify the church, to build up the church, it was who He was. It pulsated through all of His being to lift up and build up and encourage in the faith the church of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, he writes at the end of this chapter, verse 28, speaking of Jesus Christ, he says, Him, Christ, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We find here Paul's goal, to present everyone mature in Christ. There it is again. His ministry is marked by the proclamation of God's truth, the first part of verse 28, and the purpose is to present everyone mature in Christ. The Word of God delivered so that people are built up in maturity in the faith. Now notice his attitude in verse 29. This is his stated objective, but verse 29 shows the attitude that he takes with it. For this, the maturing of the body in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil. The maturity of the church was a matter of utmost importance to the apostle. He poured his life into seeing the church build up in the faith. This zeal was not sparked by some crass desire to succeed in ministry. It wasn't a competitive spirit that sought to boast over the ministries of others. This zeal is sparked by nothing less than the sanctifying power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. There was a work of God within his soul that led him to love the church of Jesus Christ. So Paul has been given new life in Christ, and that life pulsates with a zeal to see people come to maturity in Christ. That should focus particularly upon the individual body into which Christ has placed us, but I think one of the real evidences that this is genuine and in us is that it is an orientation we have toward all believers in Christ, wherever we find them in this world. We will love the church in any part of the earth where we find it and where we enter fellowship with people. We want the church of Christ to be built up, not simply our own local assembly, as as vital and primary as that is. But this is Paul going from church to church. He labors that they would mature 
in the faith. And I wonder then, as we think of this, I toil, I struggle with all the energy that God supplies to see the church build up. Does this zeal drive Eden Baptist Church? Does it drive you? Are we actively, energetically seeking to build up the body of Christ? This is our very purpose, to magnify His name, to build up His body. This is why we're here. This is why He's given us life. We pursue this purpose when we participate in the teaching ministry of a faithful local church, where the Word of God is faithfully taught. We are participating in the building up of that body as we take in the Word of God. Sometimes this will be more active than others, but even in the least active sense it's taking place right now, in understanding the words of God, that is itself a labor to build up the body of Christ. I'm seeking to think clearly. I'm learning how to think and how then to minister God's word to others. So this, our presence in the local assembly, hearing the word of God, is itself an equipping to do what we've been called to do. To build up the body. We pursue this purpose when we pray with one another. And when we encourage one another with God's truth in times of trial and sin. Our prayers should be filled with the ideas of God. And those prayers as we share them with one another should be strengthening to one another's faith. Our prayers as we hold up our brothers and sisters in Christ concerned about their needs and their growth as we labor together hand in hand, heart to heart seeking the growth, the development, the maturity of this church that is in those prayers a building up of the body of Christ. We pursue this purpose when we contribute to the health of the church by making peace and working to remain unified in our fellowship. I actively go about building up the body of Christ when I choose to make peace instead of war. When I choose to reconcile rather than to ignore. When I choose to say, I'm not going to turn that into a selfish orientation. I'm going to leave it with God. So from top to bottom, the local church is an ongoing construction zone. Now, As we transition to our new facility in Burnsville, the building project will not stop. The greater building project in that place will just be starting. We are builders for life. As we land at our new facility, may we commit ourselves to labor eagerly to fulfill our purpose to build up the body of Jesus Christ. May He help us to that end. I just invite you to bow in prayer as we consider this calling on our life. As we meditate upon these truths, I may speak now to someone who does not know Christ as Savior. And I would say that maybe it's time for you to stop tearing down your life by rejecting God's ways and to join this edification project. Jesus' gift to His church is preceded by His gift to individuals. And that gift ultimately is His death 
the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is His ultimate gift. I would call you today to repentance and to join His family and to find what it means to be built up in your faith. For those who know Christ as Savior, let's ask, let's allow the Spirit of God to work within us this knowledge that we have, this familiar truth. How is my relationship with this local church contributing to the purpose of building up the body of Christ? Do I see myself in these terms? What am I doing? How does my orientation need to change to be fulfilling this purpose of building up the body of Christ? Let's allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction and to bring to our attention what should change and to encourage us in doing what is right.